don't be scared to overspend on your personal home, that it's going to be one of the best investments that you make. You're probably, if you're planning on staying somewhere for a long time, then you know you're holding and you're going to enjoy it. You're going to be able to live there. And, you know, I've worked out very well for me. This is the Passive Wealth Strategy Show, the show that will help you escape the Wall Street casino and build wealth on Main Street by investing in real estate. I'm your host, Taylor Lote, and today our guest is Meredith Garrett. Today, we're digging into short-term rental investing in two specific areas. First off, we're digging into her recent experience opening a glamp ground. If you don't know what that is, don't worry. We're going to define those terms for you. Then we're also going to move on to her principles for market selection. We get into specific examples of different markets where she's invested in short-term rentals, why it worked out in one particular market, and why it did not work out in a different market, why she left that second market to focus on the better one. We dig into what she would look for when selecting a new market she was considering investing in using the short-term rental strategy. So for the short-term rental investors out there, there are a ton of great actionable lessons in this interview. Once again, I'm your host, Taylor Lote, and to date, I've invested in, partnered on, acquired, or otherwise had a hand in over $150 million of commercial real estate investments. If you'd like to learn more about potentially investing with us on a future deal, just go to investwithtaylor.com, fill out the form and schedule a call, and I will look forward to speaking with you soon. If you're an Apple Podcast user and you enjoy the show, please take a moment and leave us a rating and review on Apple Podcasts. Five stars if you don't mind, you guys. I appreciate that so, so much. That helps other people learn about the show because that helps us rank higher in the Apple Podcast ecosystem. And I'm always honest with you guys, that gives me a nice little warm and fuzzy feeling because I get to see that you're engaging with the content and you're escaping the Wall Street Casino along with us. If you're hearing my voice right now, That means you're not joining us on YouTube. If you'd like to check out the video versions of all of our interviews, just check out the Passive Wealth Strategy Show on YouTube. Don't forget to subscribe, hit the notification bell, and if you enjoy the interview, leave us a thumbs up on the YouTube channel. Once again, our guest today is Meredith Garrett from Stay Minty. We're digging into a few key aspects of her short-term rental investing strategy from the glamp ground that she recently opened back in Q1 of 2022. And then we also dig into her experience investing in short-term rentals in different markets and principles that she would use if she was looking for a new market to invest in short-term rentals. Without any further ado, here we go. Meredith, thank you so much for joining us today. I'm excited to learn about glamping and everything else that you're up to in the short-term rental space. For our listeners out there who don't know about you, your background, where you're coming from, tell us a bit about yourself. Yeah. So I'm in Nashville, Tennessee, originally from Arizona, and uh, ran a clothing company actually out of LA, clothing manufacturing and design company for about 13 years. Grew it to about 25 million. We had deals with a lot of major movie studios and licenses, things like that. Sold everyone from Costco, Walmart, Kohl's, Target. Moved on from that industry after doing like a private equity type deal. And that's how I got to Nashville in 2017 and started Stay Minty in 2018 after finding the short-term rental business here in Nashville. Awesome. That is quite the journey, very inspiring and quite the accomplishment. 
So let's dive right into glamping and, and what you're doing there. I think some of our listeners might have an idea of what that means, but let's start with defining some terms. How do you define glamping? Yeah. So glamping is not camping, <laughs> but it's a mix between like an outdoor kind of cabiny space with camping. So you're going to have, you know, the glam part of camping all you're gonna have some amenities so we've got like running water we even have dishwashers in our domes <laughs> <laughs> we have full refrigerators we have microwaves you know you get heat and air so that there's a you know a little bit of comfort around whatever's going on with the weather at the time really cushy soft mattresses so you know you get the benefits of being outdoors and being in a beautiful environment and connecting with nature and feeling you know like you're having a different type of experience you know you do like kind of s'mores and we've got jacuzzis under the stars and <laughs> so it's a very glamorous way to camp <laughs> i love that sounds very nice so what is a typical, I'd like to learn about the the use case really of the business. What's a typical stay? How long, how long are people staying? What's a typical rental rate? Who's your renter? Are they coming from really far? You know, let's dig into the actual operations of the business and we'll get to the investor side of things. Yeah, totally. So our glampers are definitely driving in. So I would say, you know, it's usually from anywhere between like two to five hours of a drive. So the Smoky Mountains is extremely drivable to a very large population. And they're staying, most of our stays are going to be like two to three nights. And it definitely depends on the season, right? Because when it's really cold, I, I'm not seeing as long as stays as I'll see like when it's in spring and fall you know, the weather definitely does affect the experience. And I think that that is also part of the education, this being like a new concept. You know, people see this beautiful, warm looking dome because it has a very nice fireplace inside. But when it's winter time, it it does only heat or cool 10 to 20 degrees, warmer or cooler than outside. Okay. So it is, it is a bit, a bit closer to camping than I think I had envisioned. I really... I think I lean toward more toward the glam part than the the camp part, but I, I see what you're saying. It's maybe a little more log cabiny in a in a certain sense. So, saying two to three day stay time. How about rental rate? You know, gross revenues, that kind of a thing on a typical. Yeah. Rental. So it's like I said, it's it definitely fluctuates so much based on the weather because of kind of what I just pointed out. So you know, we have large domes and we have small domes. The large domes are going to have like a loft. They have three beds. So you've got a queen and or two queens and a king. So definitely like a family of four or five can fit in there and have a great time. There's like a full kitchen and living room. And then we have like the studio domes. Those stay a little bit warmer and a little bit cooler because they are smaller. And those will hold like, you know, a couple. We've had people propose there, all kinds of like anniversaries, just birthdays. It's a really, really cool experience. That will be two people. So like in this in the summertime, you'll see rates up to like four fifty a night. So wow. summer and spring and actually fall. <laughs> it's really winter that it just it does drop pretty good because we we get cold in the Smokies. You know, temperatures will drop to even down to like five degrees and we will see snow a couple times a year. So those rates will be I mean, we will sell a few nights if someone comes on during the week for like 100 dollars a night and then on weekends, you know, 150 for those for those winter months. OK. 
How do things like cleaning and kind of resetting the place between renters work? Is it like a full top down? Are you expecting the the renter to do a lot of the cleaning and kind of preparation of the space for someone new? How do you handle the, the turn aspect of it? Yeah. So we do charge a cleaning fee just because since we operate similar to short-term rental because that's, you know, the sister company is Glamp. So that's just how we're set up. And we're also on Airbnb, even though most of our bookings do come from just our website where, you know, we don't have to charge a cleaning fee. But as you know, because, you know, you're setting up for kind of short-term rentals, we still do operate similar to a short-term rental. So you'll see a cleaning fee of anywhere between $75 and $99. And that's obviously, you know, we're washing all of the linens. And, you know, there's, I mean, it's, it is a thousand square feet, the larger ones. So it's a lot of floor to mop and it, it, it is a big turn. You know, you've got a fridge and you've got a microwave. It, I mean, it's like a tiny, it's like a tiny house basically, except you don't have the insulation. <laughs> so that's <laughs> the tent part. But yeah, so it, it, it operates pretty similar. Okay. So when you've got the more inclement weather, you know, it's really cold out and the the heater's not really completely warming the place up. It's just giving you a 10 or so degree differential. How does that cleaning aspect work? I mean, uh, if you're going to have to mop, you're going to have ice on the floor, depending on how cold it is on the inside. Maybe I'm getting too into the weeds here. I'm just very curious. You know, the cleaning during colder times is probably more difficult, right? So yes, it it is. It's been a, it's been an interesting learning experience. The winter months here, we have some heating components on our water pipes that you know keep the water rolling. And yeah, I mean, it's something that we're working through. There was there was definitely a few days where we, I mean, we had to shut down. You know, we were like, okay, we can't clean a couple days. It just doesn't make sense. It's five degrees. Those that will happen probably two to three times in the winter months. So okay, those are your lower revenue months anyway. So not as big of a concern. Lower demand in that time. Yeah, anyway. absolutely. And I think what so this will be our first winter because we launched Glamp in March of this year. And I think what I'm so I'm su- so surprised with two things that have to do with winter. One is how many people are booking and coming. Like we are sold out for Christmas and New Year's. So people are spending Christmas in the domes and definitely for New Year's. Like we are almost back to back. So a lot of travelers coming when it's cold out and for these holidays, which I was not expecting. And also, I'm just super surprised that everyone has been super comfortable, but then you'll get one, you'll get those people every now and again that just were not expecting it to be cold in the domes. <laughs> it's like, well, we, they are tense. <laughs> so we do send out like notices that say, you know, you are coming during the winter. This is a winter experience adventure, <laughs> you know, like come prepared. You need layers, clothes, what have you. So th- those two th- those two things have been a little surprising. But all in all, like everyone's having a really, really great time, which is awesome to see. Great, great. So now let's dive into the, the business model side of things and, you know, how this all works. Is it sounds like it is a ground up development? Are you finding sites and, you know, maybe properly zoned sites and developing them? Are they all right next to each other is it a campground or all the are these all separated let's talk about the 
the business side of things, you know, the money, where's the money coming in? Yeah, absolutely. So this, this property is a 20 acre property. It has a lodge right in front of this creek that we have there. And so I did develop it from the ground up. We had a water well on the property because there is a lodge, although it wasn't pumping out enough water to service the eight domes that we have. And we have jacuzzis which obviously take a lot of water. So I did have to do like a water filtration system, build a new water well and a water house, pump house. So that was a that was a pretty big endeavor alone just to kind of get water to all these sites. But uh, they, my goal was to make it as much of a nature experience as possible. I'm just really inspired by getting families and people who don't normally want to go and experience camping, like getting those people out to camp. Like, I think it's just so awesome reconnecting with nature. And so they are all pretty private and they're they're spaced out well enough to where there's there are two domes that are the closest together. Those are about, I would say, 15 feet apart. Other than that, the rest are are pretty are pretty spaced out on purpose just so that we could have that privacy feature. Okay. So what is the exit strategy here? I mean, obviously you're probably quite a long time until you are going to think about selling, but any real estate, in any real estate deal, we need to think about how do I get out of this? You know, How do I make money on the back end, that type of a thing? So what's the plan? So I actually, it cash flows very well. And I actually built it and created it for just a cash flow business mechanism and not necessarily for a plan to, you know, have an exit. I've kind of been down that road trying to, you know, I guess just be so focused on the end goal and the outcome. And I know, you know, obviously as investors, we always want to know that there is there is something kind of that we can trade down the road that's going to be worth obviously our time. But at the end of the day, just knowing that the margins and the cash flow is going to be like worth my time, I like that better too. Like I don't want to wait for the payday and the margins in this game in this new asset class are very, very good. And I, it's just, it's a hard, it's, there's a big barrier of entry and there's obviously, you know, you have to develop at this point, you know, there's not very many glamp grounds ready to just go by. <laughs> so yeah. Okay. Okay. So this is not your first foray into the business. And before we were recording, we were talking about other markets that you've invested in and short-term rentals in the past, different businesses that you've been involved with. So I'd like to pivot a little bit and talk about market selection in short-term rentals and positive and negative experiences that you've had in different markets. So let's break into that and, and talk about what you've done in Nashville and how you got started in the Nashville area. And then we can talk about your other area experience. Yeah, totally. So Nashville, I heard about the margins in this space. When I had moved here, I was working on some development and just wanted to test it because I heard the numbers and couldn't believe that someone was going to pay $1,000 a night to stay in Nashville. Looking at the real estate prices, like $500,000, $400,000 for a property. This is crazy math. Of course, just, you know, went in, found the best property I could, figured, well, if this doesn't work out, we'll just long-term run it anyway. And yeah, the numbers were right. I, I couldn't believe, I couldn't believe it. So I definitely started building and buying 
more short-term rentals immediately. And that was in 2018. So did some development projects. Like I said, kind of I got some investors too, did a lot of my own and built that up. The regulations were changing a little bit as after I started. They That was right when Nashville was kind of reorganizing how they were going to regulate their short-term rental development. And that's when they kind of designated you have to be on commercial property. So I kind of hit it at the right time because had I had come in a year or two earlier, I might have had 20 rentals in the wrong area where they're, you know, designated residential. And that would have not been fun to have to, you know, move those into the proper areas. So now everything I we have is on, you know, commercial dirt. Everything is, you know, on those regulations, which is nice. And then I had dabbled in the Palm Springs market, seeing those margins and the price point in Palm Springs when I was looking, which was about in twenty late 2018, early 2019. It was kind of the same thing. I just, I knew the numbers when I saw them, like, okay, real estate is, you know, you can get something great for 500 to 600,000 and these rental prices are a thousand a night. Just knowing the numbers, I can trust the data now. Kind of once you get once you get rolling and get acclimated to the market and what you can expect, got a property there. And after running it for probably like three or four months, it's just the dealing with the city and the regulations was such a nuisance and just such a problem that it was taking up too much time and it felt too risky as an investor to grow a market somewhere where I couldn't really trust the municipalities. Um, And if I'm not going to be in a market for just one, like you got to scale in a market if you want to have a decent operation. So it's it's kind of like you need to have, you know, maybe one if you're just an individual, but if you're going into an actual market where you want an operation, you need to have at least like 15, 20 like large homes and kind of hit that certain mark. So I I kind of cut the cord, so made a great profit. I mean, the Palm Springs market was appreciating. We did well and came back, came back to Tennessee. <laughs> okay. So as we were discussing prior to recording, there's a big difference between in the regulatory environments between those two markets. Let's dig a little bit deeper into, you said it's tricky. It was tricky to deal with the Palm Springs Palm Springs market, but like, why, why, why was it tough to deal with them? Why did you not really trust them as opposed to Nashville where, you know, you're considerably more comfortable dealing with Nashville? Yeah, absolutely. So in Palm Springs, they, they don't have kind of designated areas, zones, you know, dirt that's coded or zoned for short-term rentals. It's literally like, you just can't be in an HOA and then you find a residential home on a residential street and you don't really know who your neighbors are. So you're really taking a gamble on hoping, keeping your fingers crossed as you close escrow, that your neighbors aren't going to tattletale on you and they, you know, they're going to be cool. So, you know, I don't like really doing deals off just trusting that people are going to be cool. And you don't know if they're going to trade their property right after you close. Your cool neighbors go away and all of a sudden you have people, you know, that are living there full time and don't want you there. And it just made me, you know, a little too nervous. And I felt really comfortable in Nashville knowing that their regulations seem very fair they're, you know, it's it's very, very hard to get a violation in Nashville. I mean, you really have to be doing something wrong. Like for a police officer to show up and write a police report on your property would be a violation. And in order for that to happen, it has to be some major, major event. And, you know, that's obviously never happened to us. We have, you know, proper management. 
an operation. And if you do that, then you're, you know, you're not going to even get one violation. It takes three to lose your permit in Nashville. So, you know, there's there's comfort around that. I like that they regulated it on commercial dirt that keeps the inventory at a modest level. I mean, it's not, you know, they're not regulating it super hardcore. There's tons of commercial dirt out there, but they're regulating it enough to where you're in areas surrounded by other commercially zoned properties with other investors. Other investors have the same, you know, idea. They want to make money. They want to rent their property. So it just, it makes so much more sense. And yeah, so I, I, I really like what they've done here. Okay. So if you were looking for another market to branch out into, I'm not naming one in particular, but what would you look for? What are some like principles, I suppose, of finding a new area to invest in using your short-term rental model? Yeah. So, I mean, definitely always, yeah, you got to look at the regulations. I mean, that's obviously number one. And seasonality is just a huge factor. I mean, that's why Nashville does so well. You know, if you're just going to get three months a year out of the summer, it's it's not going to cut it. I also personally like to go into markets where I feel like you're also going to catch some appreciation. So some undervalued markets. I know that, you know, like obviously you're going on the coast of California. It's you know, it's pretty it's pretty well known already. <laughs> Everyone knows about <laughs> San Diego, right? I mean, so when I came to Nashville, I thought it was a pretty up and coming awesome city. And yeah, we've had some some really nice appreciation with everyone moving here. So that to me is just as an investor is I want to I want to know that I'm in I'm in a market where it's you're going to see some appreciation and there's a good deal regardless of the cash flow on the short-term rental. So that's why I just, I love these markets that we're in here. But definitely just from a cash flow perspective, seasonality and, you know, looking at, okay, you know, how, what is the barrier of entry for this market? Is this going to be like Scottsdale, Arizona, where, you know, everyone and and their dog can have a short-term rental? Am I going to compete against, you know, Every single house on the street, you no. Know? And then I, I like to go when I'm in a market is go to the premium properties, get stuff that's original, unique, something that's going to stand out. And on the higher price point side, I think is where you're going to see the best margins, most cash flow, just because there's, you know, less people in that space. It's harder to, you know, get those loans. And, you know, now, especially with interest rates rising, it just, it, it kind of, it gets a, there's not as much competition there. So I like those spaces too. So I think it's interesting and maybe a little counterintuitive to folks who are newer in the space. When you say you want to look at the regulatory environment, it might be tempting to think, oh, I want to look at the, I want to look for areas where it's a little more of a, it's a little more open, a little more of a free for all. But that also means more competition and less of a competitive moat, if you will, once you kind of get started in that area, if I'm understanding what you're saying correctly. Yeah, totally. And I know like, and I'm actually from Arizona. I know Scottsdale very well. And I looked there for a minute prior to just even like the boom that happened during COVID. And that's what, that's, that's why I didn't, I didn't go there. Yeah. And people are doing well there. I know, you know, people are probably, you know, making a lot of money and I think the premium properties are killing it. And there's, there's always, you know, ways to make money in every market, right? I mean, it's just a matter of where, where, where the best place is for you to put your money. And I think that, um, you know, a lot of those deals that are going to be in that lower price range of 500 to 
700,000, yeah, you're going to have so you're going to have a ton of competition. And I'd rather get kind of a higher margin, higher return on my money. Nice. Love it. Love the sound of that. <laughs> right now, we're going to take a quick break for our sponsor. The first step to growing your wealth is tracking your wealth, income, spending, and everything else about your finances. You can start tracking your wealth for free and get six free months of wealth advisory with personal capital by going to escapingwallstreet.com and using our link. Create your free account today and automate the way you track your money. Personal capital is my preferred way to track my finances, and now we're making that available for listeners. Terms and conditions apply. See the personal capital website for details. Once again, to get the offer, go to escapingwallstreet.com and use our link. Back to the show. All right, Meredith, I've got three questions I ask every guest on the show. Are you ready? I'm ready. Great. First one, what is the best investment you ever made other than in your education? My best investment, I will say, I'm going to say a building I did in downtown Nashville that I developed from the ground up. So why was that your best investment? It has, has it's had the best return and it's it's a beautiful building across from the W from downtown. And it's, it's one of those deals that's like a diamond. Like, it, can't believe I got it. <laughs> Nice, nice. No plans to sell. You'll hang on to it forever. Yeah, yeah. I'm I'm into I do so much work on the front end and I just feel like, you know what, putting in all this effort, I'll go just find another deal. I'd like to I like to do the cash flow game and and sit on what I have. I have a have a rule where I collect real estate. I don't sell it. Nice. <laughs> I'm a collector. I like that. So we had the best investment. Now we go to the other side of that coin, the worst investment. What is the worst investment you ever made? The worst investment I on real estate or at, you know anywhere else. It's up to you. Gosh, I actually don't. I actually don't know. I probably I I had a condo in L.A. I bought it, but I bought it right after the crash in two thousand nine, and I. But I, I, I made I made some money on it, but it wasn't my best. I, I wish I would have kept it. That's why it's probably I, I ended up selling that property. Had a great had a great place there. Fair enough. Fair enough. <laughs> well, my favorite question here at the end of the show is what is the most important lesson you've learned in business and investing? So my favorite lesson that I learned, and it's more of an in, in investing in real estate because it's not necessarily linked to business, but someone told me when I was kind of shopping for personal homes to don't be scared to overspend on your personal home, that it's going to be one of the best investments that you make. You're probably, if you're planning on staying somewhere for a long time, then you know you're holding and you're going to enjoy it. You're going to be able to live there. And, you know, I, I it worked out very well for me. And yeah, it, also this individual that told me. So. <laughs> <laughs> nice. Well, Meredith, I want to thank you so much for joining us today, teaching, teaching us about your glamp ground and other lessons in short-term rental investing. If folks want to reach out, if they want to get in touch with you, if they want to learn more about what you're up to or anything like that, where can they track you down? Yeah, so TikTok for sure. We have a big TikTok account. It's Glamp Stay Minty. And then yeah, our website, stayminty.com. Love it. Well, thank you once again for joining us today to everybody out there. Thank you for tuning in. If you're enjoying the show, please leave us a rating and review on Apple Podcasts. Five stars if you don't mind, you guys. I appreciate that so, so much. That helps other people learn about the show because that helps us rank higher in the Apple Podcasts ecosystem. And I'm always honest with you guys. 
That gives me a nice little warm and fuzzy feeling because I get to see that you're engaging with the content and you're escaping the Wall Street casino along with us. Don't forget to subscribe and catch us here every Monday, Tuesday, and Thursday. Right now, I hope you have a great rest of your day and we'll talk to you on the next one. Bye-bye.